Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Mark Carter. Today is February 1st, and here's a look at what's making headlines as it relates to grain farmers this week. Mark is joining us here because Megan McKimmy is on vacation in Mexico. Welcome to our podcast, Mark. I'm really happy to be here and not in Mexico. Well, Mexico's at least warmer than we have here, that's for sure. So one of the big things that everybody's been talking about for the more than a week now is the Canada's new food guide that's been released. And one of the biggest changes is that they no longer recommend specific amounts, uh, serving amounts of any of the food groups, but in particular, meat and dairy is kind of missing. And I kind of like meat and dairy. Were you as surprised as I was what a sweeping set of changes it was like it looks nothing like the food guide that i remember from like my entire life and you know it actually reading it kind of makes a lot of sense you know some of the stuff seems really actionable and simple in terms of you know how much of your plate you want to cover and what but there's still you know there's going to be some interesting questions for us and our membership you know i I like seeing the emphasis on soy soy protein as an alternative, you know, for all kinds of reasons, but especially because of the health reasons, the decrease in LDL cholesterol that's associated with eating soy protein. Um, but then, of course, you added some questions about the reduced use of meat. And, yeah, you know. because, I mean, one of the biggest markets for Ontario-produced corn is livestock feed. And so, I mean, our friends, at, you know, the corn-fed beef program or, you know, chickens and all the other you know commodities that we partner with on a lot of things because they're one of our biggest markets you know we we produce great grain that you know creates great meat so um you know that could potentially impact um what we're growing and and our markets if we see a reduction in meat eating um over the next couple of years because of this new food guide but you know what i find interesting is that they also mention that you know if you're not going to go to the plant-based protein then lean meat's okay but they're also then recommending like lower fat milk and cheeses. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not one for the lower fat stuff. I, I like, you know, my uh, 10%. 10%. Yeah. Uh, I'm not eating anything. That's like yogurt. It's got to be. It's got to be thick. And what I find about this food guy, too, that's really interesting is that they're really more uh, emphasizing how to eat as opposed to what to eat. So things like cook more often, enjoy your food, be mindful of what your eating habits are. So like I have a really long commute, so I'm, you know, eating in the car sometimes, which isn't good. Um, And then eat meals with others. So right there, I've already, one, I'm really bad eating habits and I'm not eating with other people, but I just find that's really interesting change that they're emphasizing that kind of stuff. Do you think that you'll become more mindful about the way that you eat, like recognizing that it's a like it's such a big deal that we've made it into like this federal program. I don't think so because it's like you do the things that you do because you have to. Sometimes you don't have a choice, right? Like I'm up at you know five o'clock in the morning and I'm out the door, you know, really early because of my commute. So I can't change that. Yeah, I think you share that with a lot of our listeners being up and having somewhere to go. You know, I think especially for farmers, some of these things aren't realistic, especially during planting season, during harvest season. You know, you're going to eat what you can. and When you and can. When you can. And, and that's going to be alone in the tractor seat probably a lot of the times or in the combine. But I guess, you know, if we drink more water and we're more health conscious overall, then we'll be better off. So um, 
you know, in, in the end, if uh, you're interested in learning more um, directly from the food guide, uh, you can check it out online at Health Canada's website. Uh, guess what, Rachel? Big news. What's that? There are new wheat and oat varieties that we can talk about. Amazing. Hey, you know what? Oats are good for you. Uh, very good for you. Uh, I like wheat too. Uh, the Ontario Cereal Crop Committee, or the OCCC, uh, which acts as the recommending body to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency for Cereal Variety Registration in Ontario, held its annual quality subcommittee uh, that was, what, last week on January 21st and 22nd in Guelph. Uh, the Quality Subcommittee reviews quality data for candidate varieties submitted for registration support in Ontario. So they evaluate uh, new varieties of wheat and other cereal crops and uh, determine whether they can be registered for use. Um, this year, breeding programs supported by Grain Farmers of Ontario were responsible for developing six of the eight new cereal varieties that have received full support for registration. Uh, that includes the first soft red winter wheat variety to come out of Dr. Ali Navabi's wheat, bro- wheat breeding program at the University of Guelph, which is supported by Grain Farmers of Ontario, and then uh, several other uh, wheat and uh, oat varieties that have been supported by our research efforts. So it's good to hear that some of our research investments are actually making a difference in terms of the, an end-use product that uh, you know is something that uh, our farmers can take advantage of. Yeah, especially uh, in that oat varieties where I think we haven't really seen a lot of recently and it's it's becoming a growing area for us, especially in terms of our research investment. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the OCCC or these new wheat varieties, you can uh, always go to gocereals.ca. In other farming-related news, um, the Ontario government is working towards reducing red tape in general for businesses, but in particular for farmers, they announced recently that they're looking at changes that would allow for the Farm Business Registration Program to be modernized. And that basically means electronic delivery and a simplified registration process. They think that's going to make it more cost-effective and easier for farmers, so save you time and reduce the paperwork, because we all know how much farmers love to do paperwork. Just as much (laughs) as they love doing it online. That's right. So hopefully this will make things quicker and at least a little bit easier um, because people do need to get those uh, farm business registration numbers for a lot of uh, other programs that uh, they'll have to apply for. Coming up on the podcast, we're going to focus on Grain Farmers of Ontario's Grains in Action program. Now, before Megan went to Mexico, she was the lead on this uh, bus tour that we do every year, Grains in Action, and it encourages young farmers to uh, take a look at what happens throughout the grain value chain. So we'll talk to Megan as well as one of the participants, Faith Fullerton, about that whole experience. But first, we're going to speak to Marty Hibbs, who's a grain merchandiser with Grain Farmers of Ontario. Next Wednesday, February 6th, uh, Marty will be running a Introduction to Grain Marketing webinar through Grain Farmers of Ontario. Uh, it's free, and you can register for that on our website at gfo.ca. Joining us now on the podcast is Marty Hibbs, who is a grain merchandiser with Grain Farmers of Ontario. And we're going to be chatting with Marty about some upcoming webinars that the uh, department's going to be offering to farmer members. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. Thank you. Uh, Nice to be here. So before we get talking about the webinars, why don't we introduce people to who you are? So you're a grain merchandiser here at GFO. How long have you been working with us? Actually, uh, I've been here for six years. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I started in uh, 2013. So yeah, this will be my sixth year. 
And can you tell us a bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, well, basically, my job at uh, GFO is to hedge our position in the, the wheat market. Uh, we only trade in wheat. We don't trade in corn or beans here at uh, GFO. Uh, so when we purchase the uh, wheat from the farmers, uh, we're at risk at that point that if the price were to drop, obviously, we would be at risk and we'd lose money. So what I do is my background is in futures uh, trading. And I go into the futures market and I establish a position so that we've locked in the price. And if the price of the physical product, like the wheat, were to drop, then we would uh, make the profit back on the futures position. And it's hedged until we uh, sell the wheat. And at that point, we lift the hedge. So basically what it means is that we take a position opposite in the markets so that it takes our risk out of the uh, position that we've got that we've bought from our farmer members. And is that people that then have participated in the wheat pool or just through any type of contract that uh, they have in with us? both. Actually, we do contracts uh, separately from the pool. The pool, uh, we obviously try to make them a bit better of a return, so we use a couple of different strategies there uh, to try and increase the uh, profit at the end of the year. But it's basically the same thing, yes. We don't want to be at risk because you never know what's going to happen, and even in the pool... If uh, we were to take in a lot of uh, wheat at harvest time and the bottom were to fall out of the market, then our farmers wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> and you have quite extensive experience, actually, in, in trading. Um, I know when we've used your bio in the magazine that we have mentioned, like, more than 25 years of, of experience. So yes, tell I us actually, about your background. I actually started in this business back in 1985. I became a commodity broker and equity at the time. And my love for commodities overshadowed the equities I got out of the stock market and focused on um, futures only. And I saw quite a few changes over the years. Back in 85, options were very um, new and not many people used them. And they're a great trading tool. And uh, I focused on futures and became a uh, what we call a, a portfolio manager. And it's a designation in Ontario that probably, or even in Canada, very, very few people have it, which basically means I can uh, take somebody's money and trade it at will with their uh, blessing and hopefully make some money for them. So uh, I did that. And also I was on BNN Business News Network for about four or five years as an analyst. And I appeared there uh, about every other week, uh, downtown Toronto, and just did analysis on the commodity markets until they were bought out. And I think it's CTV bought them out. They uh, were no longer independent. And that kind of ended up my term with them. So when we talk about having these webinars that we're going to be hosting through the um, uh, grain marketing department, uh, you're a good person to host them. So why don't we uh, talk a little bit about what what we are offering this year? Because we're doing it a bit different, offering it over the internet versus in person. Yeah, well, for the past four or five years, we've done it in person. And, and, and the, it's really nice doing it in person, but there's a lot of issues. Number one, uh, we do them in January, February. The weather is not good. We're traveling right across Ontario, uh, even, and I, I uh, have a special place in my heart for New Liskert. <laughs> <laughs> I got there once, and I figured, okay. Uh, that was in uh, a real bad storm. We almost got locked in up there. Uh, so there's a bit of risk involved with being on the road, and it's a bit lonely at my age, and I don't really want to be on the road that much, but we do it, and um, we, we cater to a small crowd. So what we usually do is rent a facility like a meeting room in a hotel, and we get 15 to 25 people, and we do one-on-one. Now, the reason we do this is because I believe today, with things being so competitive and the new farmers coming up, there is a real need to uh, uh, hedge their risk. 
and basically, you know, with things going on globally in the world, whether it's uh, the situation with China or whatever, these markets are very volatile. And what we try and teach farmers to do is that if they see a price that they like and it's a profitable position, having their crop still in the ground, it's really tough sometimes to make a commitment. But these markets allow you another tool, and that's all it is, a tool to be able to try and maximize your profits or reduce your risks. So uh, the two-day seminars that we do or the one-days, there's a lot, really a lot to try and comprehend, and people get overwhelmed. Um, when I did the seminars privately myself before I came to GFO, they were a full weekend seminar. And so what we're planning on doing is by doing the webcast or the webinar, we have a couple of different advantages. Number one is these will be um, put away for perpetuity in the sense that anytime you want, you can go back and look at it. So you don't have to be there when we do them live. And number two, we can take one topic at a time and really elaborate. So something that we crammed into two days on a or a one-day seminar, we can do this over a period of um, maybe 10, 15, or even 20 weeks. And we'll take one topic and really delve into it. And I think it'll be a great learning experience because, again, as I said, today with the farm situation or the farmers, they really need to understand how to in, uh, protect their investment and how to maximize their profits. So what's the first topic going to be? Uh, I think the first topic we're going to challenge, uh, take on is uh, explaining to people the real uh, nuts and bolts of what the futures markets are. Most people look at the futures markets as a gambling arena. They look at it as, oh, that's very risky and it's for speculators. And we're going to dispel a lot of myths there because the futures market is built for one specific reason. It's called price discovery. And whether you're a home builder or you're Tim Horton's coffee uh, supplier, anytime you're dealing with raw materials, there's a lot of risk involved. So what we're planning on doing is explaining to people the true purpose of these markets and why they're actually there. It's not a gambling house. The people that speculate in the markets do us a favor because they offer what we call liquidity in the market. And by having liquidity enables the farmer or anybody that really needs to be able to buy and sell these markets is to get a fair bid and ask, not to have to worry about a, a price differential of, say, 30 or 40 or 50 cents between the bid ask. So uh, I think we're going to focus on that for the first one. And then once we establish that, we'll start slowly and uh, we'll deal with futures. We'll also explain hedging. Uh, we will explain uh, a bit about the basis and price risk. The Canadian dollar is a big part of it because we are Canadian. And, of course, we deal with U.S. prices, so that's a big factor as well. And then probably uh, do options, which is another great tool. And finally, I think we'll end up with a real nice technical analysis uh, trading um, program that will teach people uh, how we look at charts and determine uh, what's what's going to happen in the future with uh, as, as best as we can. In other words, nothing is guaranteed, but technical analysis takes all the noise out of the markets and the innuendo and hearsay and rumors and things like that. So will you be looking at all those different formations that can form on the charts? Yes, we will. Candlesticks. And... <laughs> Candlesticks, definitely, yes. yes. That's great. And Marty, we know that as well, some of our farm members might read you every week in the Ontario Farmer newspaper. Um, you provide a commentary on the markets. What, um, what have you been talking about lately in those commentaries? 
well, there's a couple of things. Mostly in the commentary, I deal, again, with technicals. I don't get into fundamentals because personally, and this is just personal, I'm not a big fan of fundamentals because you don't know what to believe. Numbers can be fudged. They can be um, distorted. And people can look at numbers. I mean, you know yourself, right? When you see numbers, it's not always what it appears to be. Uh, if you look at the charts, what that tells me is on any given day at the close of the market in Chicago, all the experts basically in the world agree that this is the price of corn or wheat or beans at the close. Because if it wasn't, the major multinational, somebody like a Cargill, would recognize it and scoop in. And if it was too low, they would buy it or they would sell it. So you've got an arena here where you've got the experts in the world agreeing on a price. That's plotted on a chart. And that can give me a lot more information than something I read off a newswire that could either be written wrong, distorted, old, or whatever. Now, I'm not saying fundamentals aren't important. We need to know what's going on. Like right now, for example, with the situation with the, the Chinese and the soybean imports, that's an issue. Number two, government shutdown. We've got an issue where a lot of these reports aren't even coming out. So we could see some good volatility in the next week or, or two or three when we start seeing the re these reports, and they're probably not what we expected. So, you know, there's, uh, there's something to be considered there as well. So, again, like I said, we're going to look at fundamental analysis, but we're going to focus on the technicals. So the webinars, the people who participate in those, they might help them to better be able to understand and use that commentary that you issue every week. Exactly. So again, getting back to the commentary, and one thing I wanted to say, if you're reading it in the newspaper, unfortunately, don't forget, it's a physical newspaper. That commentary is probably already three or four days old by the time you receive it. So some people, one guy said to me one time, what are you talking about? You know, beans are past this price. So I had to explain to him that when I did the report, uh, it was three or four or five days before that, and the prices have changed. Now, uh, out in Ridgetown, I'm trying to think it's the um, the Farm Market News newsletter. That goes out. That's timely. That goes out when it's done that day. So if you're getting that, that's more timely than, say, for example, the, the printed copy in the newspaper. Also, GFO, if you go on our website under marketing, you can get the same report. I do it every Wednesday afternoon, so it's usually published Thursday morning. And if you go on our website, gfo.ca, you can find that in the marketing department as well. That's great. And Marty, if people want to sign up for the webinars, how can they get that information? Yeah, gfo.ca under marketing. That's excellent. Thanks for taking some time to come and speak with us today, Marty. Hey, you're very welcome. It's been fun. Thank you. So today on the podcast, we are live at the Springfield Golf Club in Guelph. This is the end point for our Greens in Action program, which is actually led by podcast co-host Megan McKimmy. So Megan's sort of on the other side of the microphone. Um, and we're joined by Faith Fullerton, who was one of our participants. So welcome to you both. Thank you. It's weird saying thank you, too. <laughs> so we're going to um, get into the Greens in Action program and sort of what all that entails shortly. But we thought we'd first start by talking to Faith about uh, why you're here and who you are. So, Faith, give us your background. You're from a family farm in Paisley. Yes. So, yeah, I grew up in Paisley um, in Bruce County. And I'm currently attending the University of Guelph. I'm in my second year taking food and agricultural business. Um, yeah, so my family uh, cash crops back home, and then we also own two um, independent Loblaw grocery stores. 
And I am also a part of the University of Guelph CAMA student chapter team. That's interesting. So you um, are you going to be going down to, is it Florida this year? That uh, Kansas City. Kansas yeah, City. I Denana. know they rotate around, so that's amazing. Yeah. Do you have like a product pitch all ready to go? Um, well, we're working on it. We have our product uh, decided, so we're just working on all the logistics that come with it. So. Yeah. And is this your second year involved in the CAMA student chapter? No, it's my first your year. Your first year. Yes. Wow. I've, I've yeah. been to some CAMA events, so I've had a chance to meet some of the CAMA students. And one year when I went to the United States to NAMA, which is the mm-hmm. American counterpart, where you guys do your big presentations, mm-hmm. and I sat in, and I was so impressed and blown away by just the amount of preparation that went oh, into all of these presentations. I know. It is uh, It's pretty extensive. Yeah. So do you know what maybe you want to do? And are you interested in marketing then in agriculture or still trying to figure that out? Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. I mean, there's so many different opportunities, um, which is kind of why I liked getting into um, the egg industry, just because I could really do anything. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what I want to do. I mean, events like uh, Grains in Action can definitely help me figure out what I want to do so yeah you have a couple of years to figure it out I yeah, guess exactly. you're still so halfway through university thank, so thank gosh I'm not in fourth year <laughs> <laughs> um so why don't we start talking about grains in action then Megan can you give us an overview about uh, why we do this program and what it entails Yeah, so we have been doing this program for quite a few years now. I think someone said seven or eight, but that was probably a bit before my time. But um, So Grains in Action is a four-day conference and bus tour, uh, and we bring together young agriculture professionals. So those could be people in school like Faith, or some people that are just getting out into the industry and starting jobs uh, in various aspects of agriculture. Um, And we do have some master's students and PhD students. So uh, there's a pretty wide range of people that are there, which is really great, we think it's a good networking opportunity too. But um, the, really the main idea is to show them the grain value chain and like where grains go after they leave the farm. So we visit places like Cargill and Sarnia and Ethanol Plant, um, some more fun things like whiskey, uh, and just uh, try and see all the different aspects of the industry that touch on grain that we might not otherwise think of. And I think that's good um, also for people that are getting into the workforce and uh, don't maybe know a lot about that and the other big part about it is for us at Grain Farmers of Ontario it lets us um, talk to and meet uh, new young people that we might want to get involved with Grain Farmers of Ontario whether it's um, at the district level or on the board as a delegate or a director um, or if they are interested in research and might want to have a research proposal or something like that. And Faith why did you want to take the Greens in Action program? So since my family owns uh, two grocery stores, um, it's kind of at the end of the big chain to uh, the consumers buying food. But then with my family also producing food, um, I thought it would be pretty neat to see what goes on in kind of the middle stages of the chain. So um, I just thought it would be interesting, and I really didn't, I wasn't aware um, what kind of went on in the middle. So Faith, what has stuck out for you then as sort of one stop that was really eye-opening for you? Mm, I uh, I really liked Greenfield uh, Global Ethanol Plant. I was just so unaware of what, what they do with the corn and uh, they have a plant in Tiverton, uh, which is close to where I live. And I, 
I just didn't I didn't know what they really did there. I just know that corn went there and they made ethanol and but I I didn't realize all the other products that come from that. So that was very neat. Some of the, like the alcohols that they use are it's actually like in like alcohol products. Yeah, right? we yeah. I don't think we always realize that you think of ethanol plant and you just think of el- ethanol, but they do industrial grade alcohol and food grade, which I actually didn't realize going in when they mm-hmm. were talking about all the like, um, like Mike's Hard Lemonade apparently has stuff. Yeah, them, and so. ice iceberg vodka and yeah, yeah. and and pharmaceutical um, grade alcohol as well. So they were saying like the wipes that you'd use at the hospital before you would get a needle that um that alcohol in the wipe is from the ethanol plant so pretty cool and we got to go across the road to truly green mm-hmm. farms which was pretty neat uh do you want to tell us a bit about that one yeah i had never been in uh, a big greenhouse like that before it was uh pretty interesting especially considering Um, when we get produce at our stores we never really know where it's coming from necessarily Um, but it was just neat to see how it really is produced in such um, large quantities and they have a pretty cool I think like a a relationship with the ethanol plant because they uh um, they use their co2 but we also learned that they're trying to use heat as well now so that that's all coming in huge pipes under mm-hmm. the road to the greenhouse from yeah, the ethanol they just plant. Switch a lever or something and yeah, comes through the pipe. So that greenhouse is growing tomatoes, peppers, just yes, tomatoes. just tomatoes, yeah. just I tomatoes. Think, yeah, uh, three different grape tomatoes and vine tomatoes, I believe. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Interesting. And so why don't we start back at the beginning? Then um, we started here in Guelph. And sort of on the introductory night, I saw some tweets going on that you guys had a bit of a, a mixology class. What was going on there? Do you want to tell us about that? It was, uh, it was, so we always have, well, not always, but we partner with Spirits Canada at GFO Grain Farmers of Ontario on a lot of different things. Um, and they always give us great tastings, but I feel like they made it a little more fun this time. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good icebreaker to kind of start off the event, I thought, anyways. Yeah, they picked, uh, I think they had four different cocktails, and they mm-hmm. taught us how to make them, and then picked a whole bunch of people to become bartenders and try mixing <laughs> so those So they had cocktails. to work for their samples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it got everyone chatting, and it was really it, it was really fun. And the guys at Spirits Canada are pretty pumped up about whiskey, so mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty engaging. So you mentioned it was a good mixer, no pun intended, I guess, in terms of <laughs> people and alcohol there. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, what kind of people have you met? Who have you sort of connected with over the last couple of days? Well, I really wasn't aware of who was going to attend this year, but uh, I know a lot of um, the people that were on the tour from school, but also just people that are out of school and... Um, just working in the industry as well. It was nice to uh, talk to them. Yeah, it was a pretty good demographic this year, and I think uh, it should be good for to meet new people and network mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that yeah. all different aspects and areas that sort of touch on grain. So. Yeah, it was a really nice mix, I thought. And then you got on the bus and you headed into the Southwest. So where did you end up um, on that tour? Where did we go from there? Ah, Sarnia. Sarnia, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of Sarnia? It was it was really good. Uh, yeah, so we went to um, 
yeah, travel to the Sarnia Grain Terminal um, by owned by cargo yeah it's a cargo cargo one i think it's had various owners but in sometime in the 80s it became a cargo terminal yeah so we had a bit of a presentation at the beginning and then we split off into groups and toured their facility there so is it all grains that they're storing there are they handling just one commodity they do corn soybean and wheat they said um they're talking a little bit like the difference year to year depending on the need but uh I thought which was cool about their presentation is they really got talking about their role um within the industry because Mm -hmm. of supply and demand and um I guess how significant that is so what we use domestically and then they kind of have a role in what we can't use what we're producing more beyond that they help take it uh to Europe and other export markets which we don't think of but that really helps our supply and demand in the country and keep price is good for farmers and um, they kind of touched on uh, markets for dawn that are outside of Canada that I think we're going to Ireland and some other areas of Europe so Mm -hmm. um, they have a role that we probably don't really think about that much but is pretty significant to us in Ontario. Was that a big topic, Don? I know, like, as farmers, everybody's, that's what they've been talking about since (laughs) the fall. It seemed like every place we went to, (laughs) yeah, it was definitely a hot topic. But I would also like to say, um, I believe it was at Cargill that they said um, if you eat three meals a day, that it's been touched by Cargill, I think, seven times. So I thought that was incredible. Just in terms of the different products that would be made from the grains that they're dealing with. Wow. And mm-hmm. cross grocery stores, I guess something you guys think about when you have grocery stores. So mm-hmm. that was really cool, yeah. And then from Cargill, we went, to, oh, that's where we went to, to the ethanol plant in yeah. Sarnia. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we headed from there to Windsor for the night, which then kicked us off to ADM the next day. So they, that particular one, um, they do mostly uh, soy and canola crush, so they're uh, producing oil that they're shipping around. They also have a little bit of a, on the side, they, because um, they're near the port, so they also bring in wheat and um, corn just to ship out because they're at that port, so they kind of function as an elevator in a way too, as well as doing the, the oil. So that's that specific one. Um, there's ADMs all around the country, so they gave us a little bit of interesting information about what different ones do. I found it really cool. I didn't had no idea about this. I think it was there that there's an ADM in Mississauga that does flavoring exclusively. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know I that. Know. <laughs> I didn't know that. What do you mean by flavoring? Like, um, so what were they saying about um, what example did they use? Potato chip Chips. flavoring. Oh, yeah. Uh, like yeah. if you've ever had craft dinner, the cheese taste yeah. in the, the oh, cheese they powder. said something about Krispy Kreme donut. Yeah. So, like, you just have no idea what what your grains are being used for, and it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it was pretty... I like that one. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else about the tour at ADM you found oh, interesting? Well, yeah, how, about how when they run out of storage, they'll use the ship, oh, yeah. the big ship that'll... I guess that... that like, docked right yeah. at the facility there. They'll uh, store soybeans there or on the on the trains as well yeah i think that one's pretty cool that they have uh access to they said like road rail and uh by boat so they they can do a lot out of that yeah place yeah so 
And then after that, you warmed up with some more whiskey? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seems yeah, to be a theme. This was a good, this was a good stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we went to Hiram Walker in Windsor. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't tour the facility because it was icy out, but yeah, we did some whiskey tasting and... And that kind of made up for it. <laughs> and I saw yeah. on Twitter that you guys like tapped into some special barrel. What was that about? Yeah. Oh, are you the one? <laughs> I feel like you need to tell. We there's, a, to- there's, a, there's laughers. There has to be a story. There's a story. <laughs> yeah. Goes with that, yeah. So is there Weiser's Legacy, which I think yeah. is the last barrel of that in existence. So they tapped into it. And we were pulling it. Oh, I can let you tell the story. <laughs> yeah, so they tapped into it. And I don't know what the name of this rod was called it was like a a thief possibly I don't know I just call it a rod but basically you'd put the rod in and then you could fill your glass with whiskey to try so and then you'd go and sign the barrel so whatever we were going through the line each each doing this and filling our glass so I went up and the guy who had done the presentation was standing there as well. So I, I filled my glass, and then I thought he had grabbed the rod. So I, like, walked away to go sign the barrel. And sure enough, he didn't grab it, and it fell into the barrel. So is <laughs> so it still that, in there? That put an it's end still in to, there. <laughs> yeah, that put an end to uh, tr- trying that. So that was He's kind of a see. funny thing that happened. Yeah. He tried to see if he could get into it. So the rod will probably live in there until all the whiskey eventually comes in, I guess. <laughs> That's part yeah, of Yeah, that fun. would happen to me. <laughs> but they did a, I think Don Livermore, or Dr. Don Livermore, that's at a, he's a master blender. I think he might be the only one in Canada, but I can't quite remember. But pretty impressive uh, guy. He does a good presentation about how... He's really passionate about how whiskey is what grew Canada and Ontario mm-hmm. and, and, and how it plays such a big role in, in the economy. And, and they, I think there's another place too. They, so he talked about that and how, I guess, the economy came to be and how they bring in uh, all like local grains. Because I think sometimes people, when you hear J.P. Weiser's, you forget that it's uh, Canadian made and that they source all from around Windsor, which is pretty cool. Um, and they did t- touch on Dawn too, because I think that's what everyone wants yes. to talk about. Did so. they have supply issues this fall? They said that they did. Um, so for them, the impact is in the dried distiller grains as well. Um, they said that the amount that would be for human consumption would never be an issue. Once it's distilled and boiled off, um, it wouldn't go in. But they've had issues, I guess, on that sense with what they can do with their distiller grains after. So. Um, but it was interesting. They can, um, like, when the load comes in just beyond the dawn, they can decide on grain purely on smell too. It's they beyond. smell something funky, then they they know that they can't take it. So wow. it's interesting. That seems like it's a kind of like in grain training or just like that. Yeah, yeah. kind of sounds like an art <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to know what to smell. And and what did you think of the whiskey? So after you got your sample and dropped the rod in, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have liked Coke with it and some ice, <laughs> but no, it was good. And we had tried some of them um, when we did the mixer on the first night. But yeah, they were good. Yeah, we tried four different four different whiskeys. And yeah. Did you notice a difference between the one that came right from the barrel compared to the one you had in the bottle? Not, I couldn't. I know that um, every everyone kind of had their preferred 
whiskey, but honestly, to me, they all tasted the same. (laughs) (laughs) I did learn that I'm not a huge fan of rye whiskey, because apparently rye is what makes that burning feel. Was that the Lot 40? Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too popular. I think... Yeah, maybe if you have the taste for it and you like that. He said it's that burning in your chest that comes from rye. So I like uh, the milder whiskey. The milder taste, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm not a strong whiskey drinker, but I remember the one year when I did Grains in Action, they made a cocktail with, like, apple cider, mm. and that was really good. Yeah. So I, guess I think we tried that in maple syrup. Yeah. yeah. I took that recipe card. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. If you're ever in need of using up some whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then after after that, what was the next uh, tour stop that we did? Oh, we traveled to Richtown. Yeah. Ah, some uh, research. So yes. for some people, I guess they've, uh, they might know some of, uh, might have come through Ridgetown, but um, we saw Dr. Dave Hooker and Art Schaff's mother. Uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of work goes into all that research. I definitely think we apparently were some of the first people to hear about Art's uh, Dawn testing and sampling he's been doing. That was interesting. They have some, uh, I think, some more sampling that we can uh, move forward, some ideas, and see where he goes from that. Mm -hmm. That was good. And then that led us off to Cambridge, where we had dinner and stayed for the night. Mm -hmm. And... uh, this morning we were at Wallenstein, which I thought was pretty cool. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a great tour. Yeah, so the same thing. We split up into two groups, and uh, we toured the facility, and then um, went in, went inside to the office and got a presentation from um, Wendell. Yeah. I've been I've been on a tour there, and what really amazed me is the just the sheer number of different mixes they can oh, make. I like, know. they can customize it for whatever animal I think he livestock said feeds they like, need. 1,800 yeah. or something? I thought it was yeah. incredible, too. They mentioned that they also almost weekly are re- revamping their mixes. Like, their, their formulas. They change yeah. up their formulas, yeah. Which is a lot of work going in there. And, uh, <laughs> and was Don part of the discussion there as well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. I think it was a... I, I think we might have been in two different groups. My group was a little quieter, I guess, because they had heard a lot of it done. But it definitely came up. <laughs> yeah. And they were saying how they... I think it's something that is rolling out in February, but <clears throat> it's like a laser level in their bins, so that... Well, on the farm, I guess. So mm-hmm. when the, the feed is getting low... Uh, it'll trigger the system, and I guess uh, I'm not sure exactly. You have an app on your phone, and it basically tells you. It can measure. The laser measures um, how much feed you have left in your bin, so you it'll come up on your app, and then you know. And I think they want it that maybe it'll be sent to Wallenstein, and they just know when you need need more feed, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. and it's like they have a whole system where that, I guess it'll all work into that, and they scan all their barcodes everywhere. That's kind of cool for traceability i guess yes. too so yeah and then after that tour was done you guys came back here to sort of learn a bit more about grain farmers of ontario and what we do as an organization mm-hmm. did you know much about what we did before today i did but i i didn't realize how many parts there are to it really um yeah there's a lot of smart people working <laughs> for the grain farmers, that's for sure. <laughs> Did any part, any one particular presentation stand out for you? Yeah, the, the GR presentation was pretty cool about what, they, what she does working with the provincial and federal government. Yeah, lots of, she had lots of photos of, uh, um, I guess, where our board and our chair, Marcus, have been out meeting 
politicians and mm-hmm. sometimes you don't realize that's all happening so it's kind right. of good to see yeah and so now that you've completed this program faith what uh what are you hoping to do with either the contacts that you made or the things that you've learned Does yeah it- it's just so many products in grocery stores you just have no idea um like i was just so unaware of some of the what the grains are getting turned into or that I didn't even realize that let's say corn was used in this product I would never would have thought it would be and so that's interesting to see the products on the shelf what 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 goes into what goes into them so and you mentioned that not all of your uh, fellow students at Guelph uh, were aware of the program and some of them like mm-hmm. hey I might want to go next year so when you yes. go back to school are you gonna be like yeah you should definitely oh, yeah. go and especially <laughs> they'll have to listen to this podcast yeah <laughs> see what it's all about <laughs> learn lots of yeah cool I'll definitely things. spread the word that's for sure <laughs> is there anything I guess uh, maybe this could be a takeaway for Megan that uh, you wish you would have learned that you didn't or something that you didn't experience that you were hoping to no I I wondered if you were going to ask this question. I thought long and hard about this, but honestly, nothing. I, if anything, I would have liked to, to go longer. Like I, I was just having so much fun. And Megan, we are always uh, thinking it's never too early to get interest for next year's program. And I know that at Grain Farmers of Ontario, we're in the process of getting a new member relations manager. She's going to be starting next month. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the meantime, if people are interested in next year's Grains in Action or just learning more about it, where should people go? Yeah, you can um, go online. There is a tab for Greens in Action and learn a little bit more there. But um, in the meantime, you can just email me. My email is uh, mmckimmy at gfo.ca, and I can definitely get you on uh, our list to reach out for next year. And we also are always doing other programming, too. Like, we have a women's symposium and uh, often do a Greens in Action alumni program, too. So feel free to reach out if that's something you might be curious about as well. Well, thank you, Faith, for joining us today on the podcast. And I I think I speak on behalf of um, everyone that attended this year's Grains in Action and also probably from past years, but, like, thank you, Megan. It's incredible. And thanks to the Ontario Grain Farmers Organization as well. I had a fantastic time. Thank you. And (laughs) thanks for being on the other side of the microphone. (laughs) A little weird, but thank you. (laughs) Coming up next on the podcast, we have a conversation with Marcus Hurl, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Joining us now on the podcast is Marcus Hurl, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. And Marcus, you've had a busy couple of weeks. Last week, you had a big group of people out to your farm for a big research funding announcement. Yes, uh, we. Um, uh, I was asked uh, a while ago if I could host an announcement that uh, was uh, initiated through the uh, CAP funding uh, for uh, research cluster funding that uh, GFO is a part of. And uh, so what happened, um, uh, MP uh, Francis Droy came out to the farm on behalf of uh, Minister McCauley to announce a significant amount of funding towards those clusters. And uh, what that gives us uh, is uh, some more uh, in-depth research into uh, some corn, uh, soybeans, oats, uh, and uh, further development on uh, also disease resistance, uh, agronomic uh, parts. And uh, so, of course, we have to look at it in the big picture because a lot of those fundings are important for our industry 
to grow and uh, to uh, have access to new technologies as we uh, are a large player in the uh, export markets of uh, oilseeds and grains uh, around the world. And Marcus, we're still uh, working on the Dawn issue on behalf of our farmer members. And most recently to that is uh, the initiation uh, by Ernie Hardiman for the Agri Recovery Program. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure, I can. Um, so we actually uh, commend that the uh, minister uh, signed off on the Agri Recovery and, uh, because the, uh, the whole Dawn issue is uh, a significant impact to the farmers that uh, grow corn in uh, in Ontario this year and uh, so what that does uh, it uh, basically asks now the federal government to look at the agri recovery on uh, what framework fits and what uh, needs to get done to get the farmers uh, apply to the program that they can access dollars to uh, cover the shortfall that they uh, that they have with the uh, the corn, but uh, by saying that at the present time there is uh, still a lot of uh, unknowns because of the um, the trigger mechanisms that agri recovery usually uh, require. Uh, there is a significant amount of dialogue that needs to happen of uh, what and how and when those dollars will actually start to flow. So we can expect our farmer members to stay updated on that information um, and stay tuned for, for some more progress on that. Marcus, we also uh, wanted to chat with you a bit about your experience with our district meetings this week. We're talking to you over the phone uh, today because uh, you're finally back on your farm, actually getting some farm work done after being away quite a bit to attend those districts. Uh, what was your impression of this year's meetings? Well, it's uh, it's simple. The uh, When I attended the uh, specifically the areas where the high dawn uh, corn was uh, the, from this fall, uh, I noticed right away that the farmers needed to uh, have a bit more information for coming from GFO of what we have done and also what AgriCorp has done and uh, what needs to get done for the future because uh, we cannot hide behind the fact that um, there might be other years that uh, this might be uh, coming up again. And uh, we need to make sure that there are certain things that uh, that we might have some influence on to get initiated. And uh, I'm going to mention a few of them. Uh, we're looking at uh, the uh, testing and uh, sampling protocols, uh, maybe even looking at the, uh, at the quality rider for crop insurance, and uh, maybe even through some research of uh, finding which varieties are more uh, susceptible to that disease. Because uh, as farmers, we cannot afford to uh, lose uh, money just because of quality issues. So we need to make sure that uh, GFO stays engaged in this process and uh, that we, uh, we come up with certain plans that can help the farmers. That's great to hear, Marcus. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for listening to our Great Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to all of our guests this week, Marty Hibbs, Megan McKimmy, Faith Fullerton, and Marcus Hurl. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe in Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere else you can download a podcast. 
If you're using Apple iTunes, please take a minute and leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really helps us reach more listeners.